providing real solutions for real industry challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, the talk of the title industry. Welcome back to part two of our podcast with Michelle Corsmo, the current CEO of the National Restaurant Association. And we will also talk about the National Restaurant Educational Foundation. Enjoy. You talked about your five key things for the National Mm -hmm. Restaurant Association. I have seen a lot of trade organizations, not only within our industry, like separate land title associations, but across other trade associations that they're struggling Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the trade organizations were networking based, where mm-hmm. it was all face to face networking, peer to peer educational opportunities were always face to face. And like you said, things have changed and delivery has changed. Right. How does the trade association keep up with this? How do right. they pivot quickly? It's not an easy task. No, it's the same as every other business. And one of the things that I think is an important challenge for association leaders to think about is what's that value proposition that we're delivering for our members in the same way that every business has to think about the value that they're providing for their customer. A trade association has to think about the value that they're providing for their members. And in that, it's really knowing what the members want and need. And we can't get too caught up in just asking them what they want and need. I always love to use the quote from Henry Ford. If I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. So we don't want to do too much asking specifically, what do you want? And then waiting for people to respond, but really think about how people are engaging and interacting. Um, You know, when you think about networking being such a cornerstone of a trade association, and it is for so many, there's really wonderful opportunities that have existed in COVID and the fact that we're interacting so much virtually in being able to bring in thought leaders that you might not have had access to before or bringing together smaller groups uh, more frequently to create tighter, more customer-centric relationships. I think that for trade associations, it's really about thinking through your particular association's business strategy and what's most important to you. Um, If you think about business strategy, there's product leadership, uh, operational excellence, and customer intimacy are really the three corners of of business strategy and which one is your priority. Uh, I always default that a trade association's Uh, competitive advantage is customer intimacy. And that's the space where we really need to um, fit the needs of our members in a way that's different than other for-profit organizations are going to do that. So I I know the pain is real as everybody's trying to figure out how to thrive in the new kind of post-COVID environment, but it just takes that work of sitting down and thinking about, you know, what is our competitive advantage? Is it really customer intimacy? And if so, what do we need to do to provide value for our members? I think that's great advice, the small groups, uh, small groups and think tanks. Uh, But if I look at a larger scale, you know, like your number one thing that you said was advocacy. Now, when I think of the National Restaurant Association, Advocacy doesn't come up at the top of my list of huh. what you guys do. What so does? Me, yeah. What no, does? No, I'm asking you, what does? Oh, what does? Well, the first, it, to me, it's like how to provide better customer service. 
But oh, that really okay. is more of a of a business model and a business uh-huh. strategy, right? Yes. And just like in the restaurant business, there's always an and the title industry or real estate industry in general, customer service shouldn't be something that you're striving for. It shouldn't be something that you're putting on a marquee. It's an expectation, right? Right, right. But I love the way you said advocacy number one. So how does the National Restaurant Association advocate for its restaurants? So the reason I said advocacy number one is because advocacy is the only thing for which a trade association doesn't have a natural for-profit competitor. Everything else that we do, there are for-profit companies that are providing those same goods and services. Advocacy is the only thing that has the legal protection of the trade association, allowing all of the industry to come together to discern what's the best policy to set for the industry and to advocate for that with that antitrust protection. Um, knowing that, of course, you know there are, as we well know, boundaries uh, within antitrust that we take very seriously. But being able to collaborate on broad industry policy together under the umbrella of the association is really an important uh, advantage that a trade association needs to fulfill for its members. So when we think about advocacy, I've always been what I would probably say is pretty old school in the way I view advocacy, because I think advocacy is about personal relationships with the people in the industry and the policymakers who are setting that policy. So for us, uh, we have, like every strong trade association, a top-notch world-class advocacy team. Uh, led by industry experts um, at the highest levels who have deep personal relationships with members of Congress, have a deep understanding of how the process works, uh, how legislation moves through Congress and eventually goes to the president's desk, how regulatory policy is set, uh, how you influence that regulatory policy. They know all of those mechanics. But the thing that moves a policy position over the line is the personal relationship and stories that individuals in the industry have and are able to share with policymakers with whom they have relationships. So the most important thing for us to do at the association is to make sure that we have broad and deep relationships among our members and elected officials. So what do you need right now? I mean, I know there's a lot of things that are in talks and in works, but what do you need right now to help restaurants I'm not going to say survive what has already happened, right? but continue to grow and continue to, you know, kind of get out of where they were. So many of them actually need help surviving. And this is one of the things that's going on in the industry that people aren't necessarily aware of. Um, There are 177,000 restaurants who thought that they would be receiving recovery funds from the Restaurant Revitalization Fund. And they were left out in the cold just a month ago because Congress failed to consider the bill that would actually fund the balance of the Restaurant Revitalization Fund. Uh, And so what you've got in the marketplace is a situation where on any one street, uh, there may be one or two of those restaurants that didn't receive those RRF dollars. And uh, they may be struggling in a way that's different than the ones next to them that did receive those dollars, but you don't necessarily notice it because they've patched together some different things to keep themselves open. And so now they're in a position where they don't know that they can keep uh, the business open and keep it afloat. And uh, you know, I've heard a number of stories about those restaurants that have actually said, okay, this is it, it's time, we're closing after two years of fighting the good fight. 
And so we're looking to see what we can do to help those restaurants get some kind of relief and funding. The state restaurant associations are doing tremendous work in the states, helping with grants uh, and different grant programs that are available in the states through different COVID relief uh, efforts that still have dollars left in them in the states, which is big. We're helping our members make sure that everybody is applying for and getting their employee retention tax credit dollars, which is so important um, for people to go through that process and apply to get that credit for the employees that they've had on the on the payroll for so long. And so that's been a big effort for us is trying to figure out what we can do to help those 177,000 restaurants. On top of that, the industry is dealing with everything that's going on with inflation. Um, one thing that people may not be aware of is the fact that wholesale food prices have gone up 15% or more in the last 12 months. At that same time, menu prices have only risen about 7%. And so you mentioned before, you know, it's a tough business. When times are good, the restaurant industry has about a three, maybe 5% profit margin. So if wholesale food prices have gone up 15%, menu prices have gone up 7%, and in good days, your profit at best is 5%, um, you can do the math to see that things are, are not great right now for restaurants. And so restaurant owners are really working hard not to pass along these increased costs because they know that... Um, you know, their customers are struggling. The other thing they know is it's a really competitive environment. Uh, the restaurant industry is is extremely competitive when you think about the choices that people have for where they're going to go and where they may spend their restaurant dollars. Um, and so we're looking to work with Congress and the administration on trying to find some solutions on inflation relief. One of the things that we're hopeful will happen soon is a change in some of the tariffs on goods coming in from China, uh, which should bring back some uh, relief on pricing for many of the products that our members are buying. Uh, but there's a there's a lot going on right now uh, that's creating a huge headwind for the restaurant industry. I cannot even imagine what my parents would have done being oh. in the restaurant business during this time. I kept thinking during it, like, all right, what would my yeah. dad have done? What decisions would have been made? Because our business was a family business. It wasn't right. a franchise. It wasn't right. a chain. It was, you know, mom and dad, right. two girls, and maybe a couple employees. And so the shift probably would have gone to lower employees, I'm thinking. Yep. And I bet that's happening with a lot of family businesses right now, not just restaurants, but all over. All over. And that's I mean, one of the things that's been fascinating to watch restaurants so closely and see their entrepreneurial spirit because they're doing what your dad uh, would have done. They've really thought about, okay, how do we control our costs? And it may be going just to family because I'm sure they're not paying family the wages they were paying uh, the employees. Although it's also a story of how many in the industry work so hard to keep their employees uh, and how many work so hard to feed their employees and feed the employees that they had to let go. Uh, and there were many people that were feeding their teams uh, and the teams that they let go throughout the pandemic. And then they get really creative about how they're serving their customers. So what your dad and mom probably would have done is what so many did. And it's figured out how to pivot to carry out. So if people are coming to your restaurant for those wonderful family Italian meals, uh, they would probably have set up some takeout family dinners uh, that they could come and get 
and still enjoy all of that delicious goodness of your parents cooking. Um, they've probably gotten very creative about the types of products that they're serving and the times of days that they're serving, um, what they're doing with their kitchen, all of those things are happening. So it really is uh, a time of innovation. I mean, I know that the title industry has talked about how much uh, the pandemic accelerated so much innovation in the industry, and that's true everywhere. Uh, and so you're seeing that now as it's starting to normalize in a post-COVID uh, marketplace. So Michelle, if you had a look at your crystal ball, uh -huh. how long do you think it will take restaurants to truly, and, and I'm going to say the word recover, even uh -huh. though that has a very vague definition, but how long will it take if the advocacy doesn't come through versus mm -hmm. if it does come through? What kind of recovery are we looking at? Because I am very sympathetic. I am right. one of those restaurant goers right now that I am giving bigger tips I'm being a lot more patient because I know yeah. that, you know, they don't have the number of employees, but there's a lot of impatient people out there. When do you think a recovery is going to happen? Well, first, let me, on behalf of the restaurant operators and the servers everywhere, say thank you for your patience and for your tips. Uh, I feel the same way and my family's felt the same way. Uh, we're so glad to have people that are there doing everything they can. If you take just a moment and watch those people that are running around those restaurants uh, with the short staff, how hard they're working and how much they're trying to serve people, uh, it will make your impatience uh, diminish and you'll really start to appreciate the, the work they're putting in and serving you. So thank you for that. So to the question about how long recovery takes, I think it's it's really dependent upon the economy too. You know, we've got the situation for the 177,000 restaurants that didn't receive the RRF funding. And so there's an imbalance there. And that's a, certainly a tough place, but it's also in pockets because it's not consolidated in one location or one type of restaurant uh, within the industry. But all of the restaurants are dealing with the same headwinds of inflation, of rising food costs. We're about to go into a situation where we're likely to have food shortages. Um, we're expecting food shortages for grain products. I think that you may find that with baked goods here in the next couple of months, you're gonna see some shortages, which will create some tremendous problems for restaurants. And then of course, the struggle with workforce. Um, you know, Just last month, we added 44,000 new jobs in the industry, which was the fifth month in a row that that number has not been larger than 100,000. Uh, and this is an industry that has not recovered its workforce unlike some of the others. And so it's going to take a time when the economy starts to stabilize a little bit more uh, before you can see restaurants really starting to feel solid in their operations. I think everybody that I talk to now when they think about their planning is still very much in that contingency mode planning. How are we making business decisions that are preparing us for other catastrophes, other real setbacks, um, being very conservative with cash, being very limited in any debt that they take on. Um, so the industry is still really operating in a very tight place. I don't know about timing, Linda. I mean, you know, I've talked to economists and asked them, how long do you think? What is it going to be until we start to see some kind of stabilization? And I don't think anybody feels good about um, the balance of 2022. And they're concerned about the first half of 2023. Well, I appreciate your honesty. I have one last question for you because... Yes. 
I'm just very curious because remember my three favorite things, food, wine, and education, right? Yeah. You are the CEO of the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation. Yes. Please tell me about that. So the association has a partner in the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation that does tremendous work uh, on behalf of the industry to help provide opportunity for everyone to succeed in the industry. And this has been a space where I've been able to see firsthand the great things that these members do for people all across the country uh, and mostly through the foundation. So for example, we have this great program called ProStart, which creates a curriculum program in high schools across the country for kids that want to um, develop their culinary skills. And it's both culinary skills and management skills. And there's actually state competitions in almost every state. And then the winners of those state competitions come to Washington DC for the National Pro Start Competition. This uh, event happened the first weekend that I was on the job. And it was going on, it was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And on Saturday morning, I said to the girls, I want you to come with me to this Pro Start Competition and see these states compete. And they had a lot of things going on during the day. So it was going to be an early morning um, visit to the con competition. And they were all giving me a hard time about, mom, this is your job, not our job. You know, this is our only morning to even kind of sleep in. And why do we have to? And I said, no, I really want you to come with me. And so they came with me to the Pro Start competition and saw what these teams of four and five students from 42 states across the country were doing in the meals they created. These meals, appetizer, main course, and dessert, look like something out of a Michelin five-star restaurant. Absolutely amazing. You know, they're using tweezers to put the edible flowers on the desserts and place everything just so amazing sauces, perfectly prepared meats. It was, it was absolutely a thing of beauty. Um, my oldest daughter was talking about how impressed she was and how much the teams talked to each other um, as they were working together and being very specific about what they needed, where they were, what was happening, how much time was left. They talked about how when one person was done with her aspect of the competition, she was quick to come to somebody else and say, I'm available. What do you need? Can I get you this? Uh, and do that work and be their aid and just really see that teamwork that exists there. So what a great way to see firsthand uh, these 400 students across the country come to a place where they got to be heroes and stars for the things that they created. It was, it was fantastic. We also have through the foundation, a number of really great skills and opportunities programs. There's a restaurant ready program that helps people across the country, regardless of the situation that they've been in or where they've come from, develop those skills, um, nice skills, food handling skills, in order to be ready to be hired by a restaurant. Um, we have a new program that we've started through the foundation called HOPES that works with organizations that assist people that are involved in the justice system, starting when they're in uh, the justice system, in, in prisons, and helping them think about what skills they may need to get a job when they come out. And there was a great story when this woman named Deirdre Flowers, who's in the Chicago area, runs a, a center. And she was talking about a gentleman that she had been working with who was in the justice system and out and got a job working in the restaurant industry. And he said to her, Deirdre, I got to have my kids last weekend because I have a job. I earned the right to have my kids stay with me. And I thought about what an amazing thing to be able to provide somebody with the stability that they need to build the life that they want and 
really get on that path to having um, having hope, right? In the HOPES program, obviously. So just tremendous, tremendous work through the um, Educational Foundation for everybody. And these are just a few examples of what the industry does. It just gives me such a, I don't want to say idea because it's, you know, yeah, education so. is not a new idea. Yeah. But if we think of a little bit differently about trade associations in general, mm-hmm. because small businesses in and of themselves promote their own trade, right? Right. Where a trade association can kind of build on all of that, provide these tools and these resources that a small business doesn't have the time or resources for, right. you know. I'm thinking about how do I get together with you or other thought leaders on how can we create a competition or passions in the real estate industry? Because we're struggling just like you are to get new people on board, right? But I see food as a little bit, you know, a nicer- A little bit more interesting. Well, maybe, but uh, one thing I didn't mention in the ProStart competition is in the same track with the culinary competition where they're creating these beautiful meals that everybody gets excited about and makes your mouth water. There's also an entire track of management where these teams of high schoolers come together with concepts around restaurants. And they then present these concepts to a team of judges that are experts in the industry who really push them on these concepts about um, you know, where they find their marketplace, what's the cost of the marketing dollars for the concept, how do they attract and compete within the area that they're determining is the best place for them to position their business. So that there's a lot there to really get certainly youth, but everybody to see the opportunities uh, of creating a great career in industries that may not be top of mind for people. I think that's always been the tough part about uh, the title industry is that people don't think about it. It just happens and they're really glad that it happens, but they don't think about what it takes for that work to happen. And so there's wonderful opportunities when people are young to help them understand that. I agree 100%. So I'm going to I'm going to end this with kind of a yeah. corny thought of okay. thank you for your food for thought uh, for small <laughs> businesses, <laughs> trade associations, and everything in between. You know, Michelle, you and I can probably talk for another uh, couple oh, podcasts here. I'm you know? sure we could. Yeah. And But I greatly appreciate you being on FNF Unplugged, your leadership at Alta your leadership here at the National Restaurant Association, I know is going to be amazing. Thank you so much, Linda. As you know, I think very fondly about all of my dear friends in the title industry. I hope everybody's well. I love seeing the industry be very creative and thrive uh, during the pandemic. And I know things are changing as interest rates are rising and that changes the dynamic. But you've all seen this before. You know exactly what to do and the future will be bright. I agree. I mean, you talked about concepts in restaurant. Let's have another conversation about concepts in real estate. I love it. I love it. We've planned your next podcast. There we go. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Linda. I appreciate it. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies, all rights reserved.
This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.